one of the first tells on it was that he insisted that everyone call him doctor. PhDs who insist everybody call them doctor, are they fake or real, typically? Yeah, mostly fake. I don't know. It's it's <laughs> At the very best, that's pretentious assholery. Right. So, on that note, welcome to Sanity Check, a podcast devoted to staying informed and sane in the time of Trump. I'm Ben, and I'm joined today by Mike and Andrew. Hey. Hi. We're recording on the evening of Thursday, April 27th, 2017. Today is day 98 of The Resistance. If you enjoy what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, the Google Play Store, or at our website, sanitycheckpod.com. So, uh, time for our trademarked segment, uh, Best and Worst of the Week. Andrew, go first. Um, all right, well, my my best of the week is uh, I'm going to be an uncle, which is very exciting. That's my Ooh. best news of the week. Um, my, my worst for the week is um, stories about uh, death row in Arkansas. Uh, where um, ba- essentially because drugs are the the lethal injection drugs are set to expire, uh, they are rushing to kill a bunch of people, which I just is terrible. So for me, the best was we saw some pictures from the Cassini. Uh, the Cassini probe went through the rings of Saturn, and that was very cool. Took some pictures. Um, and we got to see the pictures, and that's just really cool. Saturn's pretty far away. I don't know how I would get a probe there, so, you know, I'm impressed, and I'm happy to see some cool pictures. Um, and then for me, the worst news is also coming from the world of science. I'll just read the Scientific American headline. We just breached the 410 parts per million threshold for CO2. Carbon dioxide has not reached this height in millions of years. So... That's that's my worst. Uh, we're living history. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, soon I mean, we're going to be history. So that's my worst news. That's pretty awful. It, yeah, there, there it is a, not great. There was a similar headline on a much smaller scale that I read this week. Air pollution in subway systems may be much worse than originally thought. I already thought it was pretty bad. Yeah. Apparently it's much worse. Worse than I already thought? Yeah. Uh, that's well, according to this article. Worse than they already thought. This um, was a, all right. a previous episode of this podcast where we talked about the thriving ecosystem of previously <laughs> undiscovered bacteria in New York. New York subway muck is, I believe, the phrase. Well, I don't think that these are mutually exclusive. Not at all. Quite the opposite. Yeah. That's explaining my excellent immune system. Right. So for my worst of the week, I'm going to go with the House GOP and their... Uh, incredible uh, lack of shame, I guess is the way I would put it. Um, specifically, that they have written a provision into their new uh, health care healthcare plan, which, which is otherwise is designed to uh, kill people, um, which exempts themselves and only themselves uh, from uh, the changes to the pre-existing conditions clause that uh, that they are gutting out of Obamacare. So, uh, I mean, how they could possibly justify this is completely beyond me, so that's, that's my worst. Um, for my best, I'm going to go in an unusual direction. Um, I'm going to um, praise 
conservative Chief Justice John Roberts. I know, unusual. which I, I, that's why I said it's an unusual boo. direction. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, even I'll, I'll give it a boo. Credit but in this case, do, but... All right, I'll give, I'll give some credit. Uh, the Trump government this week argued a case in front of the Supreme Court, now that we have a full Supreme Court, thanks to the stolen seat, um, where they were trying to expand the federal government's powers to revoke citizenship from naturalized citizens. Um, and uh, they argued that in a f part of the form where you have to say if you have com ever committed a crime, whether or not you are convicted of it, that if they then found out at any point later on in your life that you had lied on that form, um, no matter the size of the crime, that your citizenship could be revoked. Um, and John Roberts was rather incredulous. Um, so I'm just going to read a quick quote from a Reuters article about this. Roberts seemed particularly concerned that the government was asserting it could revoke citizenship through criminal prosecution for trivial lies or omissions. He noted that in the past he has exceeded the speed limit while driving. If immigrants failed to disclose that on a citizenship application form asking them to list any instances of breaking the law, they could later lose their citizenship, the conservative chief justice said. Roberts described the administration's interpretation as inviting prosecutorial abuse because the government could likely find a reason for stripping citizenship from almost any naturalized citizen. Quote, that to me is troublesome to give that extraordinary, extraordinary power, which essentially is unlimited power, at least in most cases, to the government. Oh, I thought that was, I thought it was laudable that he um, wasn't being a complete asshole, basically. Mm -hmm. So, um... In terms of uh, federal government overreach, though, I think that's a pretty nice segue. Yeah, into, nice. Get it. Into uh, our first topic of discussion. So, as I mentioned, we are currently on day 98. We're getting right. The, we're get, uh, coming up. It's coming down to the wire. Yeah, so so for those who are unaware, it. I'm not entirely sure why, but... Well, we use a base 10 number system, and it that's, causes that's us to be obsessed with... the. <laughs> but traditionally, have ten fingers. Presidents right. have been judged on their first hundred days in office. It comes from FDR, they... doesn't it? It's like an F. It's because FDR's first hundred days, he passed like a million laws and right. saved the world. Well, and then there is the aspect that usually for the first couple of months of a presidency, uh, the president is given a certain amount of leeway to try to enact um, his, or hopefully in the future, her. Um, agenda and given a little time to sort of get used to the job. It's the honeymoon period. You know, they've usually, right. they've just swept into office on a wave of popular support and, right. you know, people, they've got the political capital as W described it. Uh, the other modern president who was not elected um, by a majority of voters, you mean? I do. Or sometimes yeah. it's, you're like Barack Obama where, the the country is essentially like a flaming train falling off of a cliff. Then, you know, you get to have your first hundred days, and that's easy. But in that particular instance, President Obama actually achieved quite a lot in his first hundred days. Mike. I know, but unfortunately, conservatives were not impressed enough. No, they were not. So they decided so, to destroy everything because he was black. It might be fun to go over a quick list of 
the major promises that Donald Trump claimed he was going to, you know, the things he claimed he was going to do Which there in, were many. in his first 100 days and how many of those he has achieved. The thing I love about the Trump 100 days is that um, he's clearly, uh, like, really hung up on wanting to have major accomplishments, but he's also claiming that it's arbitrary and makes no difference and no one should care about it. But if he gets a grade, it should be an A. Yeah, he's like, it doesn't matter, but also I'm doing a fantastic job, and no one should pay any attention to it. But if they did, they would realize I'm amazing. So yeah, I, well, The I number agree. of times in speeches or at the White House press briefing that it has been stated that Donald Trump has achieved more in his first you know, X number of weeks or first hundred days than any president ever is amazing particularly considering how incredibly false it is. Um, I mean, we could talk about his promise to repeal and replace Obamacare. We could talk about his promise to label China a currency manipulator. We could talk about his promise to enact uh, border tariffs. We could talk about his promise to pull out of NAFTA. We could talk about... Locking um, her up. His promise to prosecute and lock up Hillary Clinton. Um, we could talk about his overall promise to drain the swamp. Um, <laughs> we, I mean, it just the list goes on and on and on and on. I like how um, it was two Goldman Sachs guys releasing the tax plan. Yeah, mm-hmm. to drain to show how we drain the swamp. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I think the only thing into that, their mouths that oh, he was also going to have destroyed ISIS by now. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I think the only thing that it could be argued that he promised and delivered on, which was by far the easiest thing for him to do, was nominating a really conservative justice to the Supreme Court and then letting Mitch McConnell take it from there. Mitch McConnell took it the whole thing. Trump didn't do anything. Right. Well, so they selected they gave a, him a, list a justice names. for him. He, you know, he decided which one looked the strongest to him and the most long. And then he didn't do anything else. No, right. Well, he took credit. So, so that's the. That, but I'm saying that's the one thing you could argue that he did. Well, that, uh, he didn't really have to do anything. You've, surely you've seen this White House press, like this Office of the Press Secretary release on Trump's 100 Days of Historic Accomplishments. Oh, of course I have. Which uh, includes. Let's see. This is a really hilarious list. He, I mean, he signed 30 executive orders. And that's more than anybody... In a long time. Franklin Roosevelt only signed nine executive orders. So, I mean... Ooh, what a wimp. But, I mean, <laughs> the number of executive orders is a totally stupid way to measure... Is that yeah. because executive orders are essentially meaningless? Despite historic Democrat obstructionism... President Trump has worked with Congress to pass more legislation in his first 100 days than any president since Truman. That seems... It's almost impossible for me to believe that that's true. Wait, well, there's a, ver- has, a variety of issues with that statement. What for legislation one thing, has passed? I don't know. Almost none. The Democrats didn't obstruct Harry Truman because he was a Democrat. <laughs> um, also, demo- the demo- word Democrat is not the adjective form of that word. It would be Democratic. Yeah, Republicans aren't big on using the no. They love doing that. It's like, of the word it's like a little bit of a cuck attempt on their part. Uh, well, and the other thing is, is that obviously the Democrats have not 
been particularly obstructionist because they can't be. There's a minority. They're in the minority in everything. Um, One of the ridiculous aspects of this presidency has been his inability to get anything done um, despite the fact that it would be quite easy for him to achieve many things with his majorities. I mean, we're still like ask them massively understaffed in the federal government in terms of presidentially appointed positions. And Trump keeps on saying that it's because the Democrats are obstructing when, in fact, he hasn't even named nominees for 95 percent of them. I mean, it's ridiculous. So anyway, the latest one of these was uh, was uh, his threat to pull out of NAFTA, which was. famously negotiated by and then enacted um, under the first Bush and, and President Clinton. And allegedly NAFTA um, has been the worst deal ever negotiated and it's been destroying our country. This is Trump who claimed these things. Except when he's talking about the Iran deal, then that's the worst yeah. <laughs> one. Or the TPP. Which Whatever is deal it one. is, it's the worst. Um, so apparently then, though, he had to get on the phone with Justin Trudeau and President Nieto from Mexico, and um, he, of course, could not bring himself to pull out of this trade agreement unilaterally. Well, in when person, he had to actually he's terrible at confront. Like, right. I'm sure he was like, we ought to pull out a NAFTA, and Justin Trudeau's like, I would, I would rather you didn't. And he was like, oh, well, we won't. I'm sorry. Like, we, right. I want you to like so me. So he announced... He announced late last night that instead um, we would be renegotiating NAFTA. Sure. So basically we're not going to be doing anything. You might change uh, a few that. decimal points. Probably not even in, in our favor. Like he would yeah. know. I mean, he has the... He has not... Well, anyway. I mean, he, he had gone... It was pretty funny, though, because earlier in the week um, he... He was doing his campaign bit where he was talking about how uh, Chinese politicians had been outsmarting U.S. politicians for years and they were killing us on trade and they were killing us on currency and so on. But he replaced the word Chinese with Canadian. Um, So for two or three days, he was just talking about how um, the Canadians had been raking us over the coals specifically in regards to the soft lumber and dairy markets. But so what you're what we're so we're talking about 100 days we're going to have we were going to have a big accomplishment we were going to pull out a NAFTA and make a strong statement on trade and then we're not update no we're not doing that. It's we're so fine. I would say I would say that his biggest accomplishment was to be the least accomplished president in the history of the United Quite States. Quite an accomplishment. In his first well, remember those days. 28 bills that that um he he signed, which is apparently a big accomplishment. Executive orders. He did not sign three, 28 well, bills. Well, no, he he says he signed 28 bills, but as I'm learning, three bills appoint individuals to the Smithsonian Institution Board, two name buildings, and one designates a location for a National Desert Storm and Desert Shield Memorial. So these are not... These are not your real consequential. This isn't like Obamacare grade bills. This is like smaller stuff. He dropped the mother of all. I hate calling it the mother of all bombs. The the, the Moab massive ordnance air blast weapon, which is what is what the Moab actually stands for. I think um, it seems to have not been very effective because there is it's back to uh, intense fighting in that region. The, it's not just for show that we're supposed to do these things, but Trump is clearly using it that way. And, you know, 
the idea that he's missile striking Syria. This is all him trying to find big accomplishments to tout as to show he's doing a great job and he's yeah. having a tremendous impact. Um, and, and I guess it's sort of sad in a way because the story is like he none of these he doesn't there none of them mean anything. It's like a story of who of Trump's life where he keeps trying to find huge accomplishments that'll make people say you you're doing such a great job we're so impressed. But he just keeps pathetically failing around. Uh, except when Fareed Zakaria or Van Jones is talking. Did you see the thing where he was giving someone a purple heart and he said, congratulations, tremendous to them? Yeah. 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 Uh, Which apparently you're really not supposed to say congratulations to purple heart recipients. You're supposed to say thank you. <laughs> you're not supposed yeah. to want it. <laughs> thank you for your sacrifice. You're not perhaps. supposed to say tremendous either, I assume. <laughs> Yeah, you could say a tremendous thank you for your tremendous sacrifice. He's gross. What, what else? He's also been trying to. We what we can talk about um, a couple of different things he's trying to do to grasp after some kind of accomplishment. There was the tax proposal. Yeah, so that I mean that gets into. I think, they call it a plan, but it's not a plan. I think our it's nearly sixty words long. Yeah, I mean so. So what what you guys are referring to is this uh, this major tax reform plan that has been put forth by the Trump administration, which, as Andrew alluded to, is one page long, uh, made up mostly of a few bullet points. Um, that is how Trump prefers his information to be organized. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, yet in that one page, it still manages to be horrendous and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> also in classic Trump style. Um, so, uh, I mean, did you guys take a look at, at some of the things that this proposes? <laughs> I did. I'm well, I mean, the that. big the big was... um, tagline for this was that Mnuchin kept saying, more details will be coming. You know, it's hard to judge it because it's it's mostly a big TBD. Right, well, there, but there's what no... what exists uh, is terrible. There's no actual specifics, Um and particularly no, the, uh, in terms of how the first line is something like uh, "get growth," <laughs> yeah. but it, it, to just hit the highlights, uh, it would it would reduce the number of tax brackets from the current seven mm-hmm. to three, while reducing the uh, top tax bracket to thirty-five. Which really, the three tax brackets part of that is like the sleight of hand to hide that what they're really doing is reducing the top marginal rate. Sure. Yeah. Um, it would entirely eliminate the estate tax so that Donald Trump could leave money to his children without being taxed on it. And they make that really cynical claim that it's like farmers and small business owners who worry about the estate tax, no. which is such bullshit. You have to have an estate that's worth something like five and a half million dollars before the estate tax even comes into play. So Yeah, it's not... It's not normal. Anybody people. who's worrying about the estate tax has so much money that they should be worrying about the estate tax, and they can afford it. Um, yeah, it would also eliminate the alternative minimum tax, and there's probably an argument that can be made that that the alternative minimum tax should be removed or changed in some way. Um, but it's hard to ignore that. the fact that the only you know, top sheet of recent tax returns that we have on Donald Trump is from 2005 when he married Melania, and um, that was the year that he paid almost all of his federal tax in the form of alternative minimum tax, which I believe was about $31 million. Um, it also, the reason the alternative yeah. minimum tax exists is because 
extremely wealthy people were finding more and more creative ways to game the tax code. Yeah. And so it was a measure enacted that forces there to be some minimum tax payment. Well, and in fact, in addition to eliminating that, he built in another loophole for rich people, which we can get to in a second. Um, it, but in other taxes that it eliminates, uh, it it eliminates the 3.8% investment tax that's built into Obamacare. Um, again, this is really only helpful for people who have enough money to be investing. Um, it eliminates itemized, uh, most itemized deductions um, and state and <laughs> local deductions. That's the. This is the one where more detail would really be yeah. be necessary to judge this one because some of these are big things they're going to have a lot of trouble getting. Those, at. those are big things, and that is, I suppose, their argument is this is how they are paying for some of the the tax um, cuts. No, no. The way they're paying for the tax cuts is the first bullet point on the right, sheet. Get growth, yeah. Grow the economy and create millions of jobs. Yeah, the economy is going to grow Literally faster. Literally the first bullet point on the sheet. But of course, who, faster than it ever has in the post-World War II era. But who gets killed the most on itemized deductions and state and local deductions if they can't take those anymore? It's the middle class. Well, and specifically, this is a blue state hammer. Sure. Like the people who New York, it's New York, and California, where you being able to deduct state taxes, Philadelphia, from your federal income tax, yeah, yeah is is it's a big deal. states with high tax, high service states. Um, they're also if they ever come at the mortgage deduction, that, I mean, I know they're going to not. They've already said they won't do that, but it's like there's a, there's a sliding scale where the ones where you would have the most savings are the most popular ones because they're the most taken advantage of in the sure. current there's some sort of proposed tax holiday for corporations to bring money back into the u.s though there was absolutely no detail on it so we have this is one i really hate because it's rewarding companies for bad behavior totally and it teaches them that they should that they totally should just be shitty and keep all their money in ireland until they can install a friendly dictator uh, for, and for those of you who don't know, the, the company which is most notorious for keeping their money in Ireland at the moment would be Apple. Uh, that is who I was thinking of. Yes. But it's, they, they're not the only people who do uh, this. Hardly, but they are the biggest company in the world. So, um, And the repatriation yeah. holiday, it's, re- it's rewarding them for doing something that is against the spirit of the tax code and has been the whole time. Absolutely. And in addition to that, to, to sweeten the pot for the corporations even more, um, the tax plan proposes to lower the corporate tax rate from 35% all the way down to 15%. Uh, that is a big cut. That is a big cut. Now, hypothetically, would this not incentivize people to incorporate themselves and run their whole lives as if they were corporations. Well, this is what I was referring to when I, I said that he had inserted a nice loophole for rich people. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, Donald Trump himself receives business income from something like 538 limited liability corporations, uh, which would be taxed at this lower tax rate. Um, and Clearly, it would be a big gift for himself from himself. It's not... Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, and it's not, and it's not people difficult. like him. It's not difficult if you are receiving non-salary income to put, you know, in, incorporate and push it through there. And I mean, it, this would be an easy way for people to dodge taxes. 
the tax code was already very friendly to your high-income individuals. And so this tax plan is just making it even more so. And it doesn't even have the usual Republican canard of including tax cuts for the middle class. Yeah, that's they they've pretty much just done away with that. Like, they say they it. They say it. It says it. Right, but it's not true and in fact no. they're actually going to based on what we can see which objectively is not a lot, but what based on what we can see, most middle class people would probably be paying more based on the uh, Yeah, and in some cases a lot more depending yeah. on what how exactly the stuff with the deductions works out. Like if they really did eliminate the deduction for state any middle class person in California, New York, a whole That's bunch a big, of the other big I, Massachusetts, increase. yeah, it would be a huge tax big, increase. Big. But luck, but but on the nice side, executives and individuals of very high net worth would see a nice tax cut. And so, you know, I'm sure people who live in California and they'll be really mollified by that. I think I'm sure they'll, you know, mm. teachers and retail sales associates will be happy to know that multinational conglomerate CEOs can enjoy a couple more days in Aspen on their dime. Also Mitt Romney. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, but and the other thing that was interesting about this to me was that Trump Trump is obsessed with size, obviously, I mean, we know that, but he kept talking about how this is a the biggest tax cut. It was very important to him yes. that this would be the biggest, most, you know, tremendous tax cut. Which is not necessarily a great way to make tax policy is to be like, what's the biggest tax cut we could do? But he doesn't know um, anything about tax policy. No, no, he doesn't. Um, And my thing, the thing I think here is this is not going to pass. Like, there's well, that was my next question. I mean, to the extent there is anything that is a this here, because it's it's sort of a vague list of talking points. Like, it's like a draft of a set of guidance points for a, a an eventual plan. Yeah. yeah, it's like nothing. <laughs> but, you know, no law with these outlines would ever pass. I mean, so do you think that's you think that's true? You think like the House Freedom Caucus will not like this because it will obviously raise the deficit tremendously? Well, so as I said, it's really hard to talk about because there's no plan here. But, you know, trying to sort of extrapolate what a plan like this might look like I'm not sure the Freedom Caucus is going to be... It's hard for me to imagine any plan that would get the Freedom Caucus and the moderates and enough votes in the Senate. With the, And then the Senate one is, if it's revenue neutral, then I definitely don't see how you, you can construct it that way and still accomplish these goals. And that would be the way to get it through reconciliation. And if it's not revenue neutral, I don't see it getting 60 votes. Well, I mean, it seems... Whatever the details are, it seems highly unlikely that a single Democrat would vote for this. Well, and and just politically, like, not even getting into partisan, people are very attached to their tax deduction. Every single deduction that exists in the tax code has a very passionate group of people. Not always a large group, I'll, but anyone who benefits from it is very, I'll very my, attached my, to my, it. My fiancé and I benefited quite greatly from some deductions in our taxes this year. I was quite pleased There's all with that. kinds, and there's so many deductions. And, you know, from an, if you're like an economist and you're running the tax simulator, yes, it is, it is not good to have so many deductions. And you would love to eliminate all the deductions. 
But in the real world, where real people have to, you know, really make ends meet in their lives, every one of these deductions will have a, some group of people to fight tooth and nail about it. And so I'm very... I'm not convinced that they can actually pass that part of it. Well, as you say, I mean, uh, in the Senate, it it will be even more complicated um, because it's extremely unlikely that this will not raise um, the deficit to a degree where um, the Republicans wouldn't need 60 votes. And... I don't think any Democrats are going to vote for it. And so the, the Republicans would then be faced with a choice of either eliminating the legislative filibuster through the nuclear option or trying to pass with reconciliation, which would mean that this certainly wouldn't be tax reform, but would be at best some sort of temporary tax cut of stupidity. Well, that's even sort of like how W... The thing is, there's there's one priority that unites all Republicans, and that's cutting taxes. Sure. So, theoretically, this ought to be the most doable of all of their legislative goals, to pass some kind of tax reform. And I don't think that Trump cares what the details are. So I think the function of this announcement was so that he could have a big announcement during his first 100 days that he could then say, look at all this great stuff I'm accomplishing. But but actually, what seems most likely, if anything is likely, it would be that the House is going to write some totally different tax-cutting bill. You know, that, that that everyone will just ignore this from the White House, and they'll just do whatever will work in the House and pass that to the extent that they can. Yeah, and we're not even getting into, at the moment, the the issues regarding Trump withholding his own tax returns and the fact that it appears that almost everything in this tax plan would benefit him and his family personally. The the messaging and the optics of it are make it very difficult for the Republicans. I'm sure the Republicans are not happy that their president has all of these tax problems in his, you know, in his individual situation where we don't know what the taxes are. Steve Mnuchin in the announcement said just said Trump is never going to release his tax returns. He also That's said that it. he. Um, he couldn't say that this would not be a tax increase for the middle class. Which is pretty extraordinary. Who needs a middle class anyway? Well, we don't have much... The fun. middle class is also a yeah. term that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. True. true. It just means you and people like you, to whoever hears it. Yeah. So, um, moving on to a, a related, yet different sort of reform the AHCA seems to be back zombie AHCA yes another yet another effort to revisit a promise about what he would do in his first 100 days to repeal and replace obamacare and uh so it's back and uh worse than ever um quite literally it's um it's the same bill that the republicans were unable to even bring to a vote previously with concessions made essentially to the House Freedom Caucus in order to make it increasingly punitive, um, which, of course, they think is great. Um, So, um, you know, in in addition to all the things that we talked about previously when when this was last up for debate, um, in its current iteration, 
states would have the leeway to opt out of a number of different um, aspects of Obamacare. So um, I think the big highlights are um, that they would be able to opt out of community rating for pre-existing conditions. Um, so uh, what that means is that under Obamacare, um, people with pre-existing conditions have to be covered and they have to be covered at the same rate as other people in their community. Um, so they can't be charged more because they have a pre-existing condition. Um, states would now be able to opt out of that aspect of it, which would mean that um, the insurance companies would still have to offer plans to people with pre-existing conditions, but they could charge them essentially as much as they wanted, um, which would make it uh, possible for them to offer plans that were literally not affordable. Uh, states would also be able to opt out of uh, federal subsidies for health exchanges, um, much like they were able to opt out of Medicaid expansions previously. And they would also be able to opt out of coverage of essential health benefits, so primary care stuff, maternity care, um, prenatal care, um, things like this. Um, they would also be able to waive the already highly punitive 500% um, increase for older sicker patients to allow insurance companies to raise their prices for older patients as much as they want. Um, so, it, I mean, it's really just totally awful um, and punishes sick and old patients um, as much well, as possible. It's specifically been revised to respond to the Freedom Caucus's concern that the initial AHCA wasn't cruel and brutal enough. Right. I mean, they wouldn't put it like that, but that was the, the point of this new effort is that they finally won over the Freedom Caucus, and the way they did that was by what you're talking about, by making it, taking away protections for people the, bringing us back the people to the way who it used to be. Most need protections. <laughs> yeah, well, those are the expensive ones to protect. Right. Um, so, I mean, we've already seen some response to this. Uh, Anthem, which is one of the biggest health insurance providers in the country, um, in addition to their own named plans, uh, they also operate a lot of the for profit Blue Cross plans across the country. They've threatened to pull out of all uh, exchanges next year if the federal government will not guarantee subsidies across the whole country. That was the whole point of how the, I mean, I say this every time we talk about healthcare, but if you're not willing to do single payer, you pretty much have to do the three-legged stool, you know, what they call the three-legged stool. And every, each of the three, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried sitting on a two-legged stool, it doesn't work. You need all the three and the subsidies are one of the legs. Yeah. I mean, and you can't, because, you can't really blame Anthem or any other insurance company in this case because they would be taking on so much risk without without any way of uh, of guaranteeing that they themselves would not go under that it it just wouldn't make any sense. The other great things about this are how members of Congress are exempt from certain elements of this adjustment. Right, right. So that was what I uh, I mentioned earlier as my um, as my worst of the week. So right. So the the Republicans who are removing essentially these protections for people who have pre-existing conditions 
do recognize that that's really awful and terrible, and so consequently they are exempting themselves from those new rules. Yeah, right. I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So it's um... still it's the, uh, the once again from a political messaging point of view, that's really. I don't know how they think they're going to defend themselves from the obvious questions like, why, if your plan is so good, are you not willing to be living under it? Well, they never have. I mean, Congress has always had really great health insurance. So Yes. Again, I don't see how this is politically palatable. I think it's less politically palatable than their previous attempt was. Well, I think, once again, it just goes back to it seems like the guiding principle here is to pass something. Yeah. And not so much with any principle of what that something should be. It seems like the driving force here is he, you know, Trump wants to be able to say he did something for healthcare. And so he, you know, the, the, the message to Congress is do something. And so they're trying to do something, and so they're thinking, well, what was the problem last time? The Freedom Caucus didn't get on board, and so they're trying to do that. Um, So speaking of uh, massive incompetence on the part of the Trump administration, we have Mm -hmm. another um, new aspect in the scandal that is Michael Flynn. Um, This guy's shady. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he really is. For real. Um, So in, in the latest development, it has been reported reported that in uh, 2014, when he was the head of the DIA, uh, which is basically military intelligence, um, he was directly instructed by the Pentagon not to take any money or payments from foreign governments, presumably because they got wind of the idea that he was going to be doing exactly that. Uh, and then I assume he winked at them and said, I hear you loud and clear. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if he even did that, but he certainly took money and payments from foreign governments. Um, so they're like, why are you winking? Really don't do this. He was like, I gotcha. The Russians and the Turks. Um, he was then subsequently fired by the Obama administration um, and then subsequently became a Trump surrogate and was hired as his first national security advisor. Um, it is also being reported by CNN that in addition to being unethical, the non-disclosure of these payments um, when he was uh, getting his security clearances for National Security Advisor may actually have violated the law. Um, it's a little bit one of your light treasons. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so I particularly enjoyed at today's uh, press briefing when Sean Spicer was inevitably asked about this, um, the way he responded several times, he, he brought this up. He said that it was not the Trump administration's fault. It was, in fact, um, the Obama administration's fault because he said that they had previously vetted him and so the Trump administration had never bothered to vet him because they had assumed that the Obama administration had done a good enough job. That's how they didn't notice that he was fired. Right. (laughs) Not acknowledging the fact that President Obama fired this guy. Um, Well, and also, isn't Obama the guy they, like, hate and the guy they are always criticizing and saying can't do anything right, but now suddenly they're they're like, he's an unimpeachable 
character reference. Well, they're they're both saying that that they they thought he was a great character reference, but he still screwed up. <laughs> I do understand that their instinctive reaction to anything is to just blame Obama. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this really is. It's not a good look. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Uh, I mean, he was in a lot of ways Trump's main advisor during... He was talked about as a vice presidential yeah, possibility. During the campaign, and then he was his top national security advisor, obviously, when he was the NSA. Uh, and all this time, he may have been under the thumb of uh, foreign governments in a criminal manner. I mean, well, at least he didn't go on and on about how corrupt Hillary Clinton was. Yeah, that, that would have been really awkward and ironic. Um, so, it, you know, this is just another nail in Mike Flynn's coffin. I mean, and it seems sort of inevitable to me that he's either going to be charged or he'll cut some sort of deal with the FBI. I mean, he's certainly trying to cut a deal. He was begging for a deal. Right. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it. I don't think it can be understated what a, an important development either one of those outcomes would be. So is your money on... Michael Flynn is an, is like a Russian spy or like an agent versus Michael Flynn is just greedy with terrible judgment. Uh, I tend towards the latter with him. I think he's real s- stupid. Um, <laughs> it is hard to believe that his bosses would be like, look, make sure you don't take any foreign money. And then like, you know, <laughs> it's like two hours later, someone calls him and they're like, hey, we'd love to give you some money. Hey, this is Turkey. We want to give you some he, money. He thought it was a Nigerian yeah. prince. I, I and guess. he's like, he's like, yeah. oh, I know I shouldn't. But okay, <laughs> sure, what could go wrong? <laughs> like, I think that, um, you know, Paul Manafort, if you tell me that... Paul Manafort is shady. ...that he's a Russian spy, I'm like, I don't yeah. know what he is, but he's yeah. something. And Carter he's Page... He's on his own. He's just... Yeah. Carter Page is a weird, weird gentleman. Carter Page is the man Russian intelligence assessed as a moron. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's clearly stupid, but he may also have been a Russian spy at the same time. A couple so, eggs short of a dozen. Yeah, it's um, it's it's hard. It's hard to say. <laughs> I mean, being a, it's, those things aren't incompatible either. I mean, no. like a few sunflower seeds time, short like, of a bird feeder. Yeah, like you could be. It would be really dumb to like tell some inquisitive Russian person a bunch of things you probably weren't supposed to tell them, and that makes you a spy, right? Well, yeah. it, it does, and it doesn't. I mean. I, I I think it's once you become compromised, the Russians are really good at compromising you further. Um, Sometimes you don't even realize you've been compromised. Like right. the Russians yeah, are great right. at all this stuff. I mean, they, you just have a they've always been a much really better. Hot lady who shows up yeah. at your at your place. Yeah, or like a friend time. who's a really sympathetic listener. Yeah. Or like Vladimir Putin will come over and you'll have drinks and talk about work, and he'll like slip. $600,000 into your jacket pocket. How do you slip $600,000? <laughs> it's like, here's a, here's a duffel bag I'm slipping into your pocket. Sometimes it's in But the, if someone knew how to do it, it would be them. Sometimes it's in the He's form of polonium talented. that they slip into your drink. 
that's when you well, yeah. have when you've outlived your usefulness. But the, I mean, the Russians yeah. have always been much better than us at that sort of trade craft um, in, in terms of uh, acquiring assets and then making their lives completely miserable if they don't do exactly what what they want. Um, the reason I asked that question before, though, was um, one of the theories I like is that Trump's campaign was such a chaotic mess with no leadership or management or structure that it was almost like not even necessarily any Russian intelligence, but just like the environment was perfect for people to start being like, hell, I get, we could probably get a guy in there. And like people just trying to sort of jockey to get sympathetic or, you know, compromised or compromisable figures in place around Trump. Yeah. Uh, I think that's entirely believable. There's a sort of and parallel. They got several. Just as like just for funsies, almost like like not with any <laughs> yeah. specific plan, because I don't think anyone expected him to win. But sort of like long shot, you know, be like, you know, hey, wouldn't it be cool if he won? We could have all these guys. Well, I mean, Josh Marshall has been uh, promoting a theory as to why the administration has been so reticent to hand over information about Flynn. So you know, for instance, they would. not they refused to hand over information to the House Oversight Committee um, on Flynn. Um, and Marshall speculated that it could be that they had done such a lack of due diligence themselves on Michael Flynn and know so little about him and his activities that they have no idea what was going on with him and and so on, but they're afraid Spicer to find did out. Tell us that. They're afraid to find out. Totally they don't told know. us that, yeah. that they didn't do anything, um, and and so they are obstructing just in order to avoid things coming out that even they that don't know about. Which is it's pretty believable. It's also um, impressive if if you have uh, Jason Chaffetz, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, at least for the moment, um, saying that. Uh, that someone in the Trump administration probably broke the law. It must be pretty bad if if he's well. That's the way it. the winds are blowing. I feel like it's getting decided that they're going to let Flynn. They're going to cut Flynn loose. That he needs to be like sacrificed, right? And th- this, of course, is the man who, after he was fired, um, Trump continued to defend on a personal level uh, quite vigorously. Other famous men defended by Donald Trump, uh, Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. Roger, Roger Ailes. Ailes. Yeah. Those are the only ones I can think of. I'm sure there are others. I guess he didn't defend Billy Bush. No. <laughs> Poor Billy Bush. <laughs> I always... He let him take the fall. Man. But so, talking about Russian interference... Is that, a, is that a valid segue to our next... Uh... I think so. so um, I think so, We just yeah. had the most major global election since our own election, I would, I would say. So it yeah, went Brexit, Trump, so. and now... Yeah, uh, and we had... I'm talking about, of course, the, the French election. Um, you know, France being the sixth largest democracy in the world. I was about to say the third most important country after the United States and England, just for all our French listeners. Yes. <laughs> they make very stinky cheese. Um, They're trying their best. So there's, a, as 
most of our listeners, I'm sure, are aware of, there was a, a sort of Trump analog. Well, I mean, there aren't any listeners, but go on. To, most of our listener. Yeah, to the two or three people who listen to us. There was a, the sort of Trump analog, um, uh, Marie Le Pen of the National... Isn't it Marine Le Pen? Let's get to the bottom Marine, of this. Yeah, Marine Le Pen, yes. Uh, of the National Front Party in France, who is a... Um, I thought it was the People's Front. Unapologetically uh, racist, neo-Nazi, nationalist, <laughs> uh, anti-immigrant, Russia loving. We're gonna ban the burqa. We're gonna all that stuff like France for French people. One of my favorite things that she proposed this week was um, banning all uh, ritual slaughter of animals, which well, that's so you can't have any halal meat, right? Or kosher, for that matter. Yeah, or well, that's all. Yeah. Do we think that was Same on thing, purpose, right? or like does that considered acceptable collateral damage? No, it was definitely on purpose. Oh, man. Uh, France. I mean, and she has no pretense about her relationship with Putin. I mean, she hangs out with him very openly. Flynn, like, was at a di- dinner table with Putin or something? Isn't there some picture and, of him? Yes, and mm-hmm. uh, Green Party candidate Jill Stein. They went to karaoke yeah. after. Yeah. Um, so Le Pen finished second in, in the election to, um, what is, uh, Macron's uh, first name, Mike? Emmanuel Macron. To Emmanuel Macron, the sort of center-left, um, is he? He's, he's like a, a center, center-left. Well, okay, so we're in Europe. In American terms, he's like a flaming communist. Right. <laughs> but in French terms, he's like pretty center, a little bit left. But he's like... Establishment. Well, he's not establishment. That's uh, That was the thing that's well, appealing about him, right? He... In theory. The figure I've heard him analogize to a lot is Bloomberg, where he sort of represents like a sensible... He's an independently sort of wealthy... Middle of the road. So when I say establishment, I mean like... He comes from the establishment. Not smashing the machinery of the state, like on sort of a non-Bannon approach to things. But I think he positions himself as not being beholden to the establishment. Um, That sounds like Bloomberg, too. Yeah, that sort of outsider-y, insider uh, combo. Right. So he actually won this election. Um, Well, he won the most votes. It's the way France does it. Nobody won the election. It's just the top two finishers in the preliminary go on into the election. Well, it's like the the Georgia 6th election that we talked about last week. If someone had gotten over 50%, they would have won outright. Um, But if no one gets 50%, then the top two go to a runoff, which will... uh, We we call these jungle primaries in the U.S., like California Senate primaries. Yes. Um, So almost immediately the vast majority of uh, the nine other candidates who had been in the race uh, enthusiastically endorsed Macron um, because they correctly consider Le Pen to be an awful human being who is an existential danger to France, the European Union, and the world. Um, Yeah, that's important to note is that Marine Le Pen is anti-European integration, She's really anti-integration of every sort, I think. Well, the big um, the big concern here would be with Brexit happening with Trump, a win for Marine Le Pen here would really take us down a road to, a, you know, taking apart the European Union. 
Right. And from a narrative point of view, she's scary um, in a different sort of way than Trump, I think, because she herself has been around in French politics for a long time. And her father was the founder of her political party. Um, and so, I mean, it, it, we're talking, you know, multiple generations and they were always considered to be extremely fringe um, and uh, not a particular threat to anything. And all of a sudden... Well, yeah, they were like Rand Paul. Like, they wouldn't get many, many votes in the elections. Right. Um, and so the fact that that she was a serious candidate in this election um, was pretty horrifying to a lot of people in France. Well, and she's still got 21.3% of the vote. Right. So in the field of however many it is, you know, 10, 11 people. So when you um, look at the exit polls and take into account uh, voters' second choice um, and so on, it appears that um, as we start the campaign for the runoff, Macron holds about a 25-point lead, uh, which is certainly way larger th- than than Hillary ever had on, on Trump. Um, but uh, I would say there's still a lot of very nervous people. Um, there are already negative stories circulating about Macron um, on the first election night, how he was partying it up with uh, young, attractive women and a lot of alcohol. Which in France, that can really ruin your political career. They're, they're, not, oh, yeah. they're not relaxed like we are. Yesterday, um, Le Pen and, <laughs> and Macron um, went to Macron's hometown um, to visit some uh, blue-collar factory workers. And Macron was roundly booed, and Le Pen was, um, was cheered wildly. So you know, sounds about right. Yeah, it's, it, it, um, it makes people it's nervous. Worth noting too that Trump basically endorsed Marine Le Pen. Like he gave like a non-endorsement endorsement of Marine Le Pen. Yeah, it was not as obvious an endorsement as his endorsement last week of uh, President Erdogan in Turkey. Well, he called him to be like, "Yo, kill all those protesters." Great job. You're living the life we all dream of. I love you. Um, so that's actually an important election too. Well, please, if you could put election in finger quotes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, well. Andrew, if you had listened to our show from last week, then you would know that we discussed that. Oh, good. Very good. I knew I could count on you guys. Yeah, that's a bad situation. But, I mean, France is like like one of your really old-line democracies. You know, the the rot is like into the heart of the whole system if France is having a problem. We've already completely biffed our chance to defend democracy – but France can still do it. Uh, yeah, I, and I, I, I would also argue that that we are still in a, a better position uh, from a diversity of population and um, recent political history uh, to to come back from our Trump-inflicted nightmare. Um, I would like to, I want to feel more superior to France. Like right now, I don't. <laughs> well, and hopefully we will not be able to feel superior to them because they will do the right thing and not vote for Le Pen. Yeah, the numbers look good for Macron, but you know, I think it's not great. There's like a non-zero chance that Marine Le Pen wins the election. It's she's she's not favored. I think we learned but... an important lesson in our own election. Yeah. 
Um, Anyone on the, the ballot safest yeah. way can win. is to keep the crazy people just out. Like, don't let them win the primaries. Yeah. You don't want to don't do don't have like a fun joke thing like we did because sometimes you end up making a big mistake. Um, I don't think I've mentioned this in a while, but I am very much in favor of uh, ranked voting in primaries. Ranked choice voting, we got yeah. it. Yeah, that's like the way of the future. Um, something that I am pretty sure would have kept Trump from winning the nomination. It definitely would have. I mean, it definitely would. Mathematically, he never got over 50%. Right. Um, so we have another election coming up in addition to the French election, though. Um, and I think- so, yeah, big big takeaway for me from the French election is, like, we're still not out of the woods, but, like, we might have hit the turning point where the world is like, hold on, maybe we shouldn't just fuck everything. Right. We don't. We don't want to be like America and Trump. So you know. But we have another election coming up that I think Mike yeah. has probably been paying the most attention to. The snap election in the UK. Yeah, which was a big surprise. Um, Mike, yeah, nobody knew she was going to yeah. do that. Mike, you want to um, hit the high points on that? Well, so Theresa May, um, Prime Minister of England uh, or of the United Kingdom, Great Britain. Look. There, it's a whole confusing thing, but of that whole thing over there, she um, she called a snap election, which nobody expected. And what this does is it means that there will be an election, and all the parties have to get their candidates together. And I think people are trying to figure out why she did this. This was a big surprise, you know. Her her term is not ending. She already controls the her party controls the majority in in the legislative body so and and these sorts of uh, early elections usually occur in parliamentary systems when the uh, ruling coalition is about to fall apart which is not yeah what is happening here and so i think the theory is nobody really knows what's up that i can see one of the theories is that the labor party is like falling apart so badly that she just wants to like drive a spear through their heart you know this is her chance to completely obliterate them um and and i guess i see that although they're already so weak and useless it's not clear to me what she accomplishes the other thing that might be going on is that um she recently triggered article 50 to officially start the process of removing um britain from the european union Mm -hmm. and so it's possible that she's trying to position herself to have the most um, leverage in the negotiations with the European Union by solidifying and, and sort of hardening her political support domestically. Um, but, but you know, she hasn't, that I've seen, sort of elaborated her theory for why she's doing this. I, mean, I think that last theory it does make a certain amount of sense because um, this will be her first time uh, at the top of the ticket. Well, right, yeah, that's the other part of it, is that she actually was never, has never won the election. She became the prime minister because as soon as the Brexit won, Which her own party didn't want to happen. Yeah, then all the other people in front of her in line were suddenly found they had to go wash their hair or they had, like, an appointment. And so she just kind of ended up being the one that was left with the hot potato, the Brexit one is just like the Trump one. They didn't really intend to win. So I, I had heard that uh, in it's sort of uh, like if Theresa May and her party lose, the EU sort of signaled that they would be happy to like undo a bunch of 
the withdrawal. Yeah, I really don't um, see that, that happening. You you don't see that you don't see that being as well. Well, I mean, Brexit, I'm not. Brexit I don't live won in by like a fraction of a hair. Yeah, but Brexit is different. They're they're really benefiting from how disastrously badly Labour is doing, because right. the opposition to the to Theresa May's party is split among all these. There's the Liberal Democrats. There's the Greens. There's the Scottish National Party, and so even though so if Theresa May's party wins like fifty one percent. And then those other parties split up all the opposition. Functionally, it ends up being a very strong outcome for Theresa May. Yep. The other interesting question here is what out, what influence, if any, the snap election would have on any um, independence referendum in Scotland. Which I have no idea. I don't think anybody has any idea. Yeah, I mean that there have been a. It's come close a couple of times, but. Uh... Well, there was one referendum which was very close. And England was like, no, baby, we love you. Like, come on, we can make it work. You're so special to us, Scotland. And then Scotland was like, all right, fine. And then England was like, lol, Scotland. Like, you guys are stupid. We hate you. We're going to leave the EU and take you with us. Scotland was like, what the (laughs) fuck is all this? Yeah, that was sort of a hoodwink. There's been a lot of hoodwinking going on in, in UK politics where people vote for one thing and then totally the opposite thing happens. Or they just, um, do something really dumb and uh, vote for something like Brexit. The Brexit thing is really stupid. But it has a lot of problems. But I'm a believer in the European project. Well, it's a big improvement over uh, their entire history prior <laughs> it's a big to improvement of 1945. Or every 35 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I've really, it's been nice not to have to do that. Yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, it, it is ironic that. Uh, for the last 10 or 20 years, um, we've all operated under the idea that the Europeans are uh, much more forward-thinking and enlightened yeah. after, after the uh, entire Peaceful, history of liberal. Europe. <laughs> it's one of my big theories about what's going on lately is that everybody's... There was this whole generation who vividly remembered how bad things could be in like the 50s and 60s. And they spent a lot of time making sure things wouldn't get that bad again. And they had a lot of success. Not total success, but a lot of success. And now the problem is everybody who's alive now just takes it all for granted. And it's like, you know, who needs the European Union? What could possibly go wrong? And it's like all the ghosts of those people are like, oh my god, do not ask what could go wrong. Oh, I think you're you're totally right. And I think that one of the the major factors that kept that... um, the specter of the past in place was the uh, the two competing superpowers of the U.S. and the Soviet Union, um, and I, I suspect that we're going to look back at the fall of the Soviet Union as bizarrely um, a really globally destabilizing event. I mean, the fall was definitely a very destabilizing event. In many ways. For example, it's not clear why, technically speaking, NATO still exists. You know, it's like, I'm glad we still have NATO, but NATO was designed to fight the Soviet Union. Yeah. Right. And so it it lacks purpose now. And, you know, mutual assured destruction became a lot more complicated. It's becoming more and more relevant again. No, NATO was obsolete, but then somehow on or around January 21st, it became not obsolete. 
Well, Russia became a problem again. Well, it was because... That is not why. It was because for the first time <laughs> in NATO's history, NATO started to fight terrorism. I'm trying to... There's actually... So this is a, this is a fun segue to... Um, we were going to talk about this. So Trump, Trump did this interview with the Associated Press. He likes. He seems to like to sit down with he loves the doing interviews. with the dishonest fake news media. Yeah. To <laughs> give really long interviews, um, including the fake and failing uh, New York Times. Indeed. But in this case, it was the uh, it was the AP. Where this we discovered. Um, so here's Trump on, on speaking about NATO, um, and he and so Trump says they had a quote from me that NATO's obsolete, but they didn't say why it was obsolete. I was on Wolf Blitzer, very fair interview, the first time I was ever asked about NATO because I wasn't in government. People don't go around asking about NATO if I'm building a building in Manhattan, right? So they asked me, Wolf asked me about NATO, and I said two things: NATO's obsolete. Not knowing much about NATO, now I know a lot about NATO. NATO is obsolete, and I said, and the reason it's obsolete is because of the fact they don't focus on terrorism. You know, back when they did NATO, there was no such thing as terrorism. So, you know, that's Trump on NATO. And terrorism. I just love back when they did NATO, there was no such thing as terrorism. <laughs> it's so stupid on so many levels. There has not been terrorism for the but entire the upside, history upside of humanity. But the upside for us is... NATO is not obsolete anymore because now Trump learned what it is. <laughs> yeah. This was a this was really quite a um far-ranging interview. It's a long interview where he just it's talks really and long. talks. Well, he's not a busy guy. I mean, he spent <laughs> he spent more than a third of his presidency playing golf. <laughs> well, you know, this connects to what we earlier we were talking about his his desire to have big accomplishments. He he it's very important to him how he appears. And I think that's yeah, why he that's likes to do these interviews. You might even say that's more important to him than uh, actual governing. I'm not sure he perceives them to be different from each other, those two things you just said. You might be right. But, I mean, either way, it's a problem. Do you have any other... Um, well, yeah, I mean, like it's just all... The theme of this interview was something uh, that we've talked about in the past is... Trump is so ignorant, but he's so arrogant that he believes that everybody is as ignorant as he is. And so there's all these things where he learns something, and he's like, whoever knew this before? And the answer, of course, is everybody knew it before. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's so much of this one could read. The one that really stuck with me was the responsibility. <laughs> there's um He talked about... So the AP interviewer says to him, can I ask you, over your first 100 days, how do you feel like the office has changed you? And Trump says, well, the one thing I would say, and I say this to people, I never realized how big it was. Everything's so, like, you know, the orders are so massive. I was talking to, and the AP interviewer interrupts and says, you mean the responsibility of it, or do you mean, and Trump says, number one, there's great responsibility. When it came time to, as an example, send out the 59 missiles, the tomahawks in Syria, I'm saying to myself, you know, this is more than just like 79 missiles. This is death that's involved. So they say sick because that's the wrong number of missiles that he <laughs> right. says. Um, 
because people could have been killed. This is risk <laughs> that's involved, because if the missile goes off and goes in a city or goes in a civilian area, you know, the boats were hundreds of miles away, and if this missile goes off and lands in the middle of a town or a hamlet, every decision is much harder than you'd normally make. This is involving death and life and so many things, so it's far more responsibility. The financial cost of everything is so massive, every agency. This is thousands of times bigger, the United States, than the biggest company in the world. The second largest company in the world is the Defense Department. The third largest company in the world is Social Security. The fourth largest, you know, you go down the list. And the AP interviewer says, right. And Trump says, it's massive, and every agency is, like, bigger than any company. So, you know, I really just see the bigness of it all, but also the responsibility and the human responsibility. You know, the human life that's involved in some of the decisions. What, I don't know what to say about that. What do you think the AP interviewer is thinking? Well, they said, Sitting right. <laughs> anyway, so the reason I like that quote is just that it, he had no idea how any, what any of it entailed at all. And he doesn't feel any shame about that. Like, he's not like, I really feel like I don't know what I'm supposed to know. It's sort of like, it's like he's walking through Willy Wonka's factory. or You know, he's like, wow, look at, this is incredible. Look at how big all this is. Like, nobody knew. And, <laughs> and of course, everybody knew, except it's, him. It's completely horrifying. It's terrible. Andrew, do you have a favorite part of the AP interview? But in terms of tax reform, how are you going to roll that out next week? Well, Trump says... I'm going to roll out probably on Wednesday, around Wednesday of next week. We're putting out a massive tax reform, business and for people. We want to do both. We've been working on it. Unintelligible. Secretary Mnuchin is a very talented person, very smart, very successful. Unintelligible. We're going to be putting that out on Wednesday or shortly thereafter. Let me leave a little room just in case. Unintelligible. And that's a big story, because I think a lot of people think I'm going to put it out much later. And... He just completely mumbled through all of the important parts of this and left us with, I like Steve Mnuchin. Well, he's very talented and very smart. Look for it on Wednesday. It's going to be huge and very talented. That's a big story. I mean, we could read this. We could just read. We should do a dramatic. Tune in for our special two-hour dramatic reading (laughs) of this interview. Um, Oh, here was another good one. Oh, no, wait. Uh, He's talking about uh, his relationship with the Chinese president. Um, We had good chemistry. Now, I don't know. I don't know that I think that's going to produce results, but you got a good chance. And the AP reporter says, "Uh uh-huh. Trump continues, look, he turned down many coal ships. These massive coal ships are coming where they get a lot of their income. They're coming into China and they're being turned away. That's never happened before. The fuel, the oil, so many different things. You saw the editorial they had in their paper saying they cannot be allowed to have nuclear, you know, etc. People have said they've never seen this ever before in China. We have the same relationship with others. There's a great foundation that's built. Great foundation. And I think it's going to produce tremendous results for our country. He talked a lot in the interview about his chemistry with other world leaders. Yeah. Well, he really wants people to like him. Yeah, he's obsessed yeah. with it. Yeah, he, he... So, I'm I'm thinking about turning from confronting the massive ignorance of the current president to uh, how we are 
staying sane in our lives. I'm not. <laughs> Andrew, you're the captain of this ship. I am. I went to the science march. I went to the science march, and it was great. Um, it was great to be around um, a lot of people uh, being strong together and celebrating strength and celebrating truth. Um, and um, I was really happy I went, and I was really happy to see how many other people went. When you said being around a bunch of people celebrating, st- being strong and celebrating strength, it's like a little Trumpy. Yeah. Well, it's what we got, you know. <laughs> we got you a... are the Trump of the Science March. I think of I Andrew Moore as the Sebastian a... Gorka of the Science March. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, if any... He is a do- I, I don't Andrew know. is a doctor, after all. Yeah, but Sebastian Gorka isn't. <laughs> um, well, I already said that I'm, I don't know how I'm staying sane. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of with Mike. I mean, I, I am. Like, I'm not. Not well. I don't know. Well, Would I, I know if I had gone insane? <laughs> yeah, it's a cop. Trump being president makes it hard to tell if I'm if what reality is. Everything is pretty Kafka esque. Um, you know, thankfully there are there are medications that that help us deal with with some of these problems. Um, Did you see the flying car? This the was a real car thing. Looks amazing! It looks so so dangerous. Like it looks oh. like such an easy way to destroy every bone in your body without it's even gonna meaning be, to. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a bloodbath. <laughs> <laughs> Just luckily, right. no one ever would drink and use one of these things. No. Which, thank God. That's against the law. And if they did, they'd end up like the guy who invented the Segway. Who, who drove his Segway off a cliff. Wait, did that happen? It did. Yeah. Re- fairly recently. <laughs> That's sort of sad, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it's definitely I mean, sad. Yeah. Some There's got to be a joke there about, like, the final Segway. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> thanks for listening to Sanity Check. Make sure to join us next week. And if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe at iTunes, the Google Play Store, or at sanitycheckpod.com. And in the meantime, keep resisting and persisting.